take the red pill, you stay in Wonderland, and I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. Welcome to Hello. Hi. How's it going, man? Thanks um, for coming on. Oh, no worries. Uh, Chris is a reporter, journalist. Uh, What's either the title? or works. Uh, my official title is reporter, though. So. Reporter online for Global News, which is a very national brand. Everyone should recognize it. Now, Chris, very important question to start the podcast off. Mm-hmm. Who is more of a household name? Is it Neil deGrasse Tyson or is it Miranda Lambert? Because I know what you voted for. I saw it. Yes, I did. Um, oh. I voted for Miranda Lambert. <laughs> I'm a bit of, I, I like country music a little bit, and I, I like Miranda Lambert, Manda Lamb, or whatever they call her. Um, the other grass Titan's okay. He could be a bit pretentious, though, but. Uh, yeah, he was on Rogan the other day, and uh, that was a lot of people, everyone was calling him pompous. I was like, I don't think, I think he's just so smart, he doesn't get the social cues. Like, I, he's that's just definitely like, it, for sure. Like, he's uh, he, like all in there being like, oh, no, particles this, like, <laughs> ask, and like, people are, and like, you just, he doesn't know how to handle it. Yeah. I mean, he's he. I, I notice he calls a lot of people out on on Twitter and stuff for like certain, like if someone makes a colloquialism on Twitter, mm. he'll be like, actually, the Not. scientific reason behind <laughs> that. It's like, oh come on, just let people talk. He was talking about how everybody, like, he would tweet like a fact, like about like a movie, like there was Gravity or Interstellar. Yeah. And he would tweet out the actual facts. It's yep. like, come on, man, it's just a movie. <laughs> anyway, Neil deGrasse Tyson won on my poll, so I just oh, want to okay. make sure that. Okay. Well, everybody on your poll is wrong. It was close. Yeah, was I it? was really surprised. Okay. It was like it was like I think 200 people voted on Instagram and Facebook and like it was like seven votes separated the two, which oh, surpro- really? like surprised me. Yeah, for sure. Anyways, Chris, as a reporter, mm-hmm. journalist, this has to be the most tur- turbulent turbulent yeah, turbulent time ever yes. to be a journalist. Uh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Do you feel to say it? The least. Um, I mean, on the local level, not too much. Um, people still have a trust in their in their local news a lot more than the national brands. When you get up to like the CNNs and the Foxes and um, you know the more national sort of broadcasts, it gets a little bit more. People are a little bit more questioning, um, and the angles are a little bit more uh, obvious when they're that big. So. That's yeah. Do you find like I know obviously. It's Trump who, who who kind of started this with the the fake news and mm-hmm. the media's the enemy type attitude. But do you think there's somewhat of a was there like an underlying thing? Because there's no way that like just because the president says something, everyone all, all of a sudden believes it. Do you think there's been like a an underlying thing or something festering with uh, a lot of people, most more specifically right wing people, that kind of made the climate that we're in today? I think so. I mean, a lot of people, especially right-wing people nowadays, find it hard to um, identify with a lot of, you know, people in the media. Uh, a lot of media is a little bit more left-leaning, and I think people from the right were a little bit frustrated with that. Um, the problem with the fake news thing is that a lot of people use it when they just don't agree with a news story it's that's being told. Kind of the way it's told. happened yeah. now, yeah. Um, which can be a problem, for sure, if, if there is a lot of bias in a news story and it's it's noticeable enough to, you know, call it out. But yeah, no, I think just people are. It, there's always been an underlying, you know, question of what the certain bias is for a news story, um, and now people are just, especially with the internet and so many people being able to um, interact with other people, especially in their bubbles. I feel like a lot of people on Twitter um, and you know Facebook have their own sort of bubbles that they stay in, 
and it's hard for them to break out of them. And anything that disagrees with that bubble is, you know, the wrongest wrong that's ever wronged. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I remember, I mean, I'm not a journalist. I'm in radio, but I remember learning, was it, I think it was his, just like a generic history class. Um, and they were talking about how the press was basically kind of, especially with like the invention of the printing press, that they were there to kind of keep the government in check. Yeah, that's always been the the sort of idea of a, of, a, of journalism and of reporters to keep the people in power uncomfortable. It's to what did they say? It's to you, a journalist comforts the afflicted and afflicts the comfortable. Ooh. Yeah. So people in power, um, it needs to be questioned in order to have a full, especially in a democracy where so much of your vote relies on what you know is going on. Um, it's important to have people telling those stories that politicians don't want to be told. Yes. Or don't want told. So when you see, or see like, uh, I think Jim Acosta is the, the big one in, in the United States for CNN that uh, I think he was, I don't know if he's officially banned from like press briefings or he just got kicked out of like certain um, areas. Anyways, as a, as a journalist yourself, you know, what do you make of like a, a government official kind of like blocking like a certain person or news network away from you know questioning their policies or their decision making process like does that worry you at all it does a little bit um there are always going to be people like it's sort of it sort of has a streisand effect a little bit though when you cut off one person like mr acosta all the other news organizations will dig in as to why someone was you know banned from the white house or whatever it was that he's been you know afflicted with so i mean it, it doesn't worry me all that much it kind of just throws a flare on the whole oh kind of the government doesn't like the media type thing um but yeah no there's always going to be media questioning the especially the presidency there's always Mm going to be people questioning that so do you think it's social media uh like i know you watch uh watch or listen to a lot of podcasts as well and you know with the the rise of social media and everyone kind of having a, a platform to give their opinion do you, do you think with social media that it's more of just everyone's kind of always thought this way, but now uh, they have a platform to say so? Or do you think it's just kind of a sign of the times, like people are maybe becoming a little more like questioning things or they're becoming more aware or like? No, I think a lot of it is people have had always had these thoughts. They've just never really, especially the more extreme views, uh, they've never had someone to bounce them off of. But now... With the access you get with social media, um, it's easier to find the people who agree with you, um, and that kind of bolsters a lot of you know the more extreme ends of the spectrum to do more. Yeah, uh, I know you mentioned news kind of. They're not like, and I know I'm not even a journalist. I know that not necessarily anyway that you know news networks endorse like liberal or NDP candidates here in Canada or Democrat or uh, Democrats in America. But why do you think it is that maybe there's a tendency or or you know a certain certain way of doing things that they tend to move to the left a little bit because you know you know anytime there's a right wing story right uh, especially like Fox or you know even here in Canada with Sun the Sun Network in Toronto I know causes a lot of controversy um, it gets it's like everyone's like oh my they're right wing but mm. but like when you go left wing it's kind of like almost normal i guess in a way it's just people i've noticed personally this is just anecdotal it's not factual 
you know, <laughs> by any stretch. But uh, I've noticed that people on the left scream a lot louder about right wing stories, uh, whereas people on the right tend to avoid those a lot more from my perspective. Um, so, like, for example, the Toronto Star is pretty well known to sort of lean to the left a little bit more. And a lot of conservatives that I know just don't bother reading it. They just don't bother interacting with those stories. They'll read something either a little bit more central, like the Globe and Mail, um, maybe the National Post, which leans a little bit more left, but th the same sort of idea. They'll they'll just avoid those, whereas a lot of people will uh, on the left seem to scream from the rooftops about conservative news stories. Yeah. It's... it's but again, that could also just be my bubble affecting me, right? That's kind of the problem with this whole scenario is yeah. that you only really interact with the people that you allow yourself to interact with. What? So it's on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. It's your friends on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. It's the people you follow. So it's like, and you choose who to follow. You choose who to, you know, who you're seeing speak. And that kind of just also, that's what forms your bubble. Yeah, I, I find that. And I mean, you listen to the first episode of the podcast. It was kind of like, me realizing like yeah we all live in this bubble and we're not discussing i ideas and uh different points of view and i and i mean we've even have a, had a conversation just over beers uh at lunch one day and we were just talking about left and right and i found out you were more conservative than i was and we had a very i think civilized conversation where i was like oh yeah. i don't agree but yeah okay no, that's, I see that's what point. most conversations in person go like that's how they are you have a civilized conversation with another person if you happen to disagree with them you discuss those disagreements and it may not change anybody's mind but at least you you know fully understand that person a little yeah. more when it's on the internet you're not looking at a face you're looking at a you know a, dis a display name and a display photo so you're not really interacting with a person so a lot of that you know social those a lot of those social sort of boundaries are lost when you're online <laughs> even if you get a face or a username usually it's just like bunch of letters and numbers with an <laughs> yeah, egg or something exactly a or, or a nickname account. or something and that's something that joe rogan's we mentioned him before but uh, we t he touches on his podcast is that this is not really a way that people were designed to interact with each other like being yeah. face to face with people and having a conversation with them face to face is how it's been for you know hundreds of thousands of years and now we're talking to each other without any sort of social consequences behind it yeah so. I, you know if i called you stupid or called your name or you know i can i if i called you to now i could see like a you get angry yeah you, you get sad you know you come across the table and like <laughs> jump me or something uh but i just it's so weird and even you know one of my favorite pastimes used to be uh, and now it frustrates me was reading the comments section on news articles like you you almost know what's coming like you see trudeau <laughs> in the headline you're like oh my god here we go yeah trudeau trump uh, Ford is another one, obviously. Um, you just get, as soon as those names pop up in headlines, you're like, I'm just going to avoid the comments. Yeah, so. I just, I don't understand why there's so much animosity, like hate, like seems like, like genuine hate of people you've never even met before. They live across the country from you and all of a sudden like you're like attacking their kids, hoping they die. Like to me, I don't understand that. And I don't know if. Again, it's just the so, a lot of the social cues are gone. These people, people like that, would never say that in person. If they are, then they don't normally get out much because they don't have any friends to go visit. So, yeah. <laughs> but no, for the most part, it's 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 just you. It's a lot easier to type in what you're thinking at that moment than sort of have to fall behind a social wall. Do you think in the future there's going to be like I don't know, like some way that you're like you're held more accountable for what you say. Now, I'm a big proponent of free speech. Um, 
and that's come as I've gotten older and a little more mature. And I, I, I feel the right that everyone has the can have their opinion on a certain subject. I'm okay with that. But mm -hmm. one of the things I learned out in uni in university, which you know, university, whatever, I, I, I hold it as true, and I think it's true. I don't have 100% fact, but was that a right is only a right until you infringe on somebody else's rights. So that's why we don't condone things like hate speech mm -hmm. or, or discriminatory behavior or anything like that. So do you, I, like, I foresee a future where someone, John Smith is on the Facebook things, hoping that Jeanette's going to die. Like, I want you to die, and I hope your kids die too. Do you think there's going to be a time where, like, you know, employers or law maybe holds those people accountable? I think so. I mean, it's tough. I mean, especially on Global News, at least, our comment section is tied to your Facebook profile. Yeah, exactly. So it takes away a little bit, a little degree of anonymity, but you could always create an anonymous Facebook profile. But, you know, for the most part, making people sign up with their social profiles makes it a lot easier to tell who's who when you get to websites like reddit um <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> yeah reddit's a tough one uh anything that allows you to comment anonymously that's when you get people you know able to say whatever they want to say and yeah and you know everybody does have a right to say what they're thinking um you know obviously besides any hate speech and like you mentioned before but you're not free from the consequences of what you say so Yes, you can say, you know, I hate this person. This person's stupid. You're, but you know, that's gonna. And you know, people have said obviously far worse things on the internet. I'll keep it PG today. Um, <laughs> I mean, we can swear on the podcast. It's fine. But there, you're right. Like gets, there's obscene, yeah. obscene things that people say. I'm like, what in yeah. your life? <laughs> like, how can someone be so angry to say something like that? So. That's what do you like? I don't even know what to attribute to this anger like whether you agree with a policy or not like you know i don't i don't agree with trump on almost anything but i like i don't hope the guy dies like no. that's no, he's no, a kid no. like yeah. he's a human like i don't understand that like i have people in my family that literally are like i want trudeau dead and you're like <laughs> like i don't understand where that hate comes from yeah like I don't do you hate are they sad in their own life are they you know, mental health, like not considering all those things, but like, you know, are they stuck in a dead end job? Are they in a bad marriage? Like what's going on in their life? A lot of what I've noticed too um, is people obviously uh, are not big fans of losing. Mm. So you get, a, that's why you get, you know, so many loud, you get so many loud Democrats in the United States. Um, you know, Trump's policies aren't the best, <laughs> Yeah, uh, but you do definitely get people yelling pretty crazy things at him or about him um most of them justified but uh and in true and in canada's case you know um trudeau won right trudeau run, won the election yeah. and there's just so many people who are unhappy with that and that like to me that's what seemed to like in canada at least like that pers like because that was before trump got elected but that was like where i started noticing i'm like I know a hell of a lot of crazy people right now. Mm -hmm. And just because it's a government. Yeah. You know what? You don't have to agree. So go out and vote the next time. And, you know, if you you win, you lose, whatever. But that is another thing, too, with the sort of the rise of the Internet is people's voices are a lot easier. It's more it's a bit more of a cacophony. But boy, people's voices are a lot easier to hear when you're on Twitter and everybody can true. say what they want to say. Whereas in, you know, old democracy, you voted with your or you voted. That's how you made your opinions known. You voted or you mailed, you, you know, sent mail into your representative. Nowadays, it's so much easier to get in contact with your government and the people who represent you. It's just people are a lot more 
crazy with their opinions. Yeah, I mean, people tweet at Mara Watson all the time here in Ottawa. Like, well, every time, counselors. every time Trudeau tweets something, um, he obviously they don't read the replies because the replies are pretty <laughs> terrible. Like, uh, um, yeah, yeah, I know it's it's a. I, I hear it all the time, and you know, I always hate to just keep quoting Rogan or, but even other podcasts or news network, it's like the like, teams now, right? Like it's there's almost like there's you versus you. there's normal pe- there's people I think that are sitting in the middle. Like I consider myself pretty middle. Yeah, like, I don't have a team. I don't have a team either. I'll vote for. Yeah, like who's going to benefit me at the time? I'm yeah. not loyal to any single party. Like if no, I voted both, I've voted both liberal and conservative, and even NDP at one point. Yeah, so. the only thing I haven't voted yet is conservative no but i've i also haven't like believed in their leaders necessarily some of them aren't very good (laughs) yeah and you know out front at least like if you dwell into policy i mean conservatives don't typically care about the younger vote they care about they're good yeah well they're rural people their base is older rural exactly right and you see it now a little bit with you know, the Sheer and Maxine Bernier thing where they're distancing themselves and he leaves the party and stuff because he kind of is echoing not necessarily Trump's views, but like kind of that like, you know, manufactured, like making something bigger than it is, yeah. like immigration or whatever it is. Like yeah. making people vote for your personality instead of your. And I think like that's what we're policies. going into now. It's not about policy. It's not about. You know, what are you going to do for the communities or the people? It's like you're literally people just like, I want to, he's going to be fun. Yeah. He he says what <laughs> he says, what he's thinking. <laughs> yeah. And to be honest, when I was younger and Doug Ford in Toronto was um, the mayor, I kind of thought the same thing. I'm like, this guy's a straight shooter. You know, I don't agree with him, but like, I love that he just says like it is. But now yeah. I'm like, that's fine for like, the crazy guy who works at the the corner store or whatever he or says like, what he likes. I like him. Or like but... my sixty five year old mother in law. <laughs> exactly. Just like doesn't right? even care anymore. She's retired. Like who cares what what I have to say? But so like I'll just say whatever a, I want to. <laughs> leading a country now, I'm kind of like, I kind of want you to just play it safe and say the right things. I don't want you going over to like Saudi Arabia or or North Korea or Russia being yeah. like, let's go, bro. Take <laughs> off your shirts and let's tussle or something. <laughs> well, people people are a little bit. They don't really, especially nowadays. With if you're scrutinizing a lot of what people say, they automatically think you're attacking them. Yeah, exactly. So. That animosity thing, yeah. right? Like, uh, it's no like criticism not, in, isn't quite what it used to be. That's yeah, sure. exactly. <laughs> and like that's why I have a strict policy of myself. Like, I do not argue on the internet mm. at all. Yeah. Uh, now I have this platform, which I can, you know, if someone disagrees with me, I can, hey, come on, man, like, let's chat. I have, I have no problem with that. Yeah, and for sure. If I learn new things and I'm wrong, like, totally cool. I love that. Mm-hmm. But, like, we're not going to get anywhere tweeting at each other or, you know, on Facebook comments because it's it's always going to turn into the same thing. And, yeah, because there's no face to look at. It's back to that whole, like, yeah. social barrier thing. And we're just trying to win. Yes. Look, look, world, look how I'm owning this guy. Like, yeah. oh, yeah, like, I owned you. Log off, man. Yeah, like, I never, yeah. I get tweets every once in a while of people who don't disagree or who don't agree with me. Um, I, for the most part, I ignore it. Yeah. Um, now, as a, as a reporter, as a journalist, um, for a, a major news network here in Canada, uh, I know, like we've been talking about, there's a lot of kind of scrutiny and challenging of what, what, you know, you you and your team are writing or putting out there, whether it's even fact or not. And I, like, I mean, that's a whole other thing. Like, <laughs> well, it's always fact. We always base. We we never say. We never we never lie. 
And yeah, exactly. And for the most part, like... Because you can get sued for lying and I don't yeah. have enough money to get sued. So. <laughs> no. But like, you, there's not even an opinion most of the time, right? Like you just kind of report the facts. And so, if, it is an opi- if it is an opinion, it, well, if it's if there's an opinion in your story, it should only be of your the people you're interviewing. Um, and you should interview as many people as you can so that there's not one, you know, overwhelming opinion. Um, but for, for the most part, it's just, you're right, reporting facts and throwing quotes in there of people who are experiencing whatever it was you're writing about. Yeah, I think a lot of people often get confused, too, on the difference between an actual news piece and, like, an editorial or an opinion or a commentary piece. And that usually is right in the headline. It's, like, commentary. Yes, we make it very obvious that you're reading someone's opinion and not a news story. And I I see it as obvious, but I think a lot of the people don't see it as obvious and i i think that's a problem it is for sure well a lot of like especially again back to like the big ones cnn fox um a lot of their news coverage because it has to be so long relies on punditry and punditry is a lot of people giving their opinions right they have guests on or call or panelists people who are who are you know professionals in the field right people who have the most exposure so you'll have like a someone who's represented the democratic party someone who's represented the republican party um someone who's worked in that field um and it's them sort of giving their opinion on you know the current events um and a lot of punditry is based around what side you land on and what opinion you have yeah do you think that's because of the age I guess we live in with uh, news where kind of everything has to almost be immediate, like something happens, it has to be, or you know, 24-7 news channels. I think a lot of it, yeah, 24-7 like news channels. Just kind of stretching out the programming or something. It is like, for sure, because like when you get like someone who was, you know, the hairdresser of the cousin of the uh, executive assistant of Donald Trump's assistant, it's like, <laughs> it's, you're, you're kind of, you're digging for as much as you can to fill as much time as you can. Yeah. Um, and that's definitely a problem. And you're just looking for as much to talk about and as many people to give your opinion, their opinion as possible. Do you think the same goes for like written uh, news, like the commentary and opinions just to have it like a maybe diverse base? Like because, you know, like I said, I think a lot of people get confused uh, on to no, like global is not saying immigration is a problem. Like it's someone who's writing on their platform and giving their opinion. Yes. Yeah. Which I mean, you could you could hold against global because they're giving them the the platform for that opinion but i wouldn't um it's just it, yeah it, people it's it is sometimes hard to find the difference between you know a commentary and uh some other news stories definitely not ones i've seen where and especially not i try to avoid as much opinion in my stories yeah well all opinion in my stories so uh, I think one of the biggest problems too is no one actually reads the stories <laughs> they see yeah. the headline and they already know everything about the subject. Yeah, you need to read the full story. Um, get it. You don't write your headlines, eh? Like or I do, do you? I do. Uh, sometimes they're edited by the uh, editorial because we send our yeah. copy off to get edited elsewhere. Because I know, in I think it was in the states, and I guess it would depend on the publication or the news agency. But that like headlines, and this not even necessarily news. This goes for sports. This goes for you know any sort of. Mm-hmm. Uh, content that's being put out that like there's people who just write headlines yeah there's have um so for example i think um from what i learned in school it's the the a lot of post media newspapers um they have a central layout center 
where they send all their copy to, and then they lay out all the newspapers in one area. Mm. Um, and they'll I'm they'll write. The, don't quote me on that, although you are recording me. So, <laughs> but uh, no, I, I'm pretty sure it, that's the case, and they write the headlines. So. Yeah, uh, I don't know if I don't know like if that's a, a problem for me either. Uh, just thinking about it like openly, that I would want the journalist to best describe their piece of work because they're they know the story i would have to assume that they give some sort of like headline suggestion um but obviously you need to make it if it's print especially in print i used to work in print but especially in print you need it to fit so if you give a Mm. headline suggestion and you're like oh that doesn't work on this piece of paper let's just you know tweak it a little bit so it fits better when you're writing a story um for anything It, it could be you know cat got stuck in a tree or to a more serious thing what what to you um or like a journal like what are the most important things that you you hit on you want to hit on or you want to get across when you're putting out a story yeah so um we were taught in j school um sort of the elements of a good of what's newsworthy um so you know like eminence of prominence um you know does does this public safety stuff like that is this is this all um so what I start with is, does the public is this something that the public should know about? Um, for the most part, yes, the public should always know about mm-hmm. everything. That's why I'm here. <laughs> um, so, for example, it's, it's should the public know? Does it have anything to do with public safety? Um, is you know, for, is someone will this result in like is or is someone going to get hurt? Stuff like that. So, um, is traffic going to be affected? You know, yeah. Telling people what they should know to get through their daily lives is kind of the rule of thumb for me, at least, um, in telling a news story. Yeah. So, um, when you're like interviewing someone and you're getting quotes and stuff, do you is it the same type of like logic behind it, or like do you get something that's maybe a little more punchy or entertaining, or I mean, does it well, sometimes given any scenario you you have different methods yeah so for the most part when when setting up an interview unless you're getting someone you know cold which isn't really the case a lot of people get a heads up before they're interviewed unless it's a scrum well which is still sort of a heads up um but you know for the most part uh it's usually quotes pertaining to whatever i'm there so just the other day i was at the uh the amazon unveiling um or sorry the construct like the groundbreaking for the new amazon building out in the east end and uh, I got an interview with uh, the counselor of the area, and I just asked him about certain concerns that some of the residents had. So you kind of go in with your own sort of, um, you, 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 well, you have the story that you're going to tell. So the story was about the Amazon facility and traffic affecting people in the area and how it's going to, you know, how, how is this going to affect people in their daily lives? Um, and that's kind of what, what I got out of it. Um, there were other people there who, so... Justin Trudeau was there for the Ooh. unveiling. Yeah, it was pretty cool. It was 10 feet away from the prime minister. No big deal. Uh, didn't ask him anything. <laughs> I, met, I met him. Oh, did you? He's a nice guy. No, that's better. I that's like better him. Than me. I don't care what people say. No, I, I definitely <laughs> like him too. Um, but anyway, he was there and a lot of people, a lot of the other media were there to ask him questions about other mm-hmm. things. Uh, of course. Yes. Well, the Trudeau's hard to, Trudeau is, and... is hard to get. Yeah, well, like he's busy, obviously. It's a very important person. Yeah. So you kind of just ask him any questions you can when you can. So <laughs> walking down the street. What do you think of yeah. Saudi Arabia? <laughs> any chance you <laughs> can. Um I 
I th- this goes more for print because just like f- I follow us, m- especially a lot of sports journalists because I like sports. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've noticed, uh, like I said, especially in print, that there seems to almost be like a I, I don't want to say brotherhood because that's not inclusive, but like you know what I mean, like a f- like a family now almost of journalists. Where yes, everyone works for different networks or, or publications or companies, whatever, but everyone's kind of in it together because like let's face it journalism media in general which i've talked about with with dylan and and other podcasts but it's it's a tough time right now for a lot of different reasons well you mentioned print and especially in print um yeah my previous job i was in print and uh i lost that job because my newspaper was closed (laughs) yeah that Um, was uh metro yeah metroland Metroland. so it was the when tour star tour star and post media swapped a bunch of newspapers and then closed them Mm. and one of them was my newspaper perfect that was the free newspaper too it was free came with your flyers still get your (laughs) flyers but um so do you think be just because the times are tougher Mm -hmm. uh that there is more of a, a family aspect with other journalists. Like you, you all kind of get it, or do, do you feel it's like competitive still? That like you're you're all trying to get the best story for your. It's a bit of both. Um, so we all know that if there's going to be an announcement at City Hall, there's going to be at least you know, the Citizen will be there, CBC will be there, will most likely be there, and it's just you kind of develop a familiarity. I mean, you are competitors. So yeah. obviously you are trying to one up the other person a little bit, but for the most part we're friendly with each other. So. Ever go out for beers with other journalists? Uh, n- not ones that I didn't go to school with. No. Uh, okay. No. Um, that's good. Not that I'm a dick, but I'm just, <laughs> I'm just a relatively shy person. So you wouldn't know it. No, I don't know. You're always friendly. Yeah, I do my best. I guess friendly and shy aren't aren't the same thing. Um, well, like, I interact with you every day, so yeah. it's hard. Why, why? Well, you can, it would be hard to be mean. <laughs> you, couldn't, you couldn't avoid me anyway. If no. You try to be like, hey, like <laughs> pop in your office. Um, but like we were like, it's, it is a tough time for media for a, a, a whole bunch of different reasons. And for I all mean, forms of media. Yeah, exactly. I mean. Like not uh, just newspapers, but radio as well. Yeah, you know, with the rise of the internet and, and free content or to be able to download content mm-hmm. Ill- illegally. Um, or to subscribe super easy yeah. you know, with Netflix and Spotify. Uh, people wanting to skip commercials mm-hmm. or, or not read ads, which has always was the reason that these types of medias or these mediums were free uh, mm-hmm. for the public. Dylan and I were talking about why local, uh, like why radio is so important. And I already gave away the punchline, but it, <laughs> it's because it's being local. Yeah. And when you look at journalism and uh, everything, and print specifically that they seem to uh, be thinking that local is not important in terms of a corporate uh, eye in certain areas. Now that's not the same for every company. I think that's just a symptom of uh, sort of the situation that Torstar and Post Media are in financially. Um, they're kind of they need to rely on their flagships a little more because that's where the money is. Uh, with Global, I was actually pleasantly surprised. Uh, they're kind of going full bore into local news yeah like so that's why they hired me and my coworker. um they've they hired people all over ontario to kind of fill in the gaps that those newspapers that closed left yes. behind so and i know yeah like where we work it's uh they, they do have an emphasis on local but yes i think a big concern uh for a lot of people not necessarily millennials but people you know who are older who grew up with the local paper 
uh, and like we talked about keeping governments in check or reporting on mm-hmm. certain topics that, you know, that with local news disappearing, you know, the local town, it almost seems like, like, how are you supposed to get your information? It's tough. Um, I mean, there'll always be someone reporting on City Hall. So there will always be someone questioning what's going on at City Hall. But when you close the newspapers, you lose a lot of like the small, the, the smaller stories. Um, like, for example, when I was working at Metroland, I wrote a story about a little girl who played for the Cond- Capital City Condors. I don't mm-hmm. know. Yeah. yeah. And she was blind. She was like one of their first blind players ever. And I got to meet her and I went to her family's house and, you know, spoke with her family and how important hockey is with them. But those stories are a little bit tougher to tell. Um, because you're not so hyper local anymore. Yeah. So a lot of stories like that, and a lot. Of, I wrote a lot of stories about church bazaars and, <laughs> you know, oh, yes, any sort the of classics. Yeah, but they were for a local newspaper, super hyper local, like the Nepean Barhaven News was. It's a, those are important things to tell, right? Yeah. What do you think about the smaller towns? So I'm from a town called Carlton Place, which was when I was growing up. There was like five thousand people. It's bigger now. Mm-hmm. But like small towns like that where, you know, people live there, but, you know, the community paper is not there anymore. Like, do you feel as a journalist that that is a detriment to the community, to to the small towns? If there's no news, like if there's no local news. In I'm pretty area, sure like we don't have one anymore. Yeah, that's definitely a problem. There should be someone looking into what's going on. Well, you've <laughs> heard about this stuff from my hometown, I'm sure, and it was a little bit. With the mayor. And, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I met the mayor. He's a nice guy. Yeah, I used to pump his gas. He was yeah. a totally nice guy. Yeah. But, like, that's why when I heard the stories, like, counselors and him getting in, like, fist fights and yeah. then, like, pushing and shoving, I'm like, whoa. Well, one, of, one of my old, one of my old, uh, someone I, 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 someone I knew before uh, was, is a counselor in uh, Carlton Place. So, but I didn't really hear many stories about it. I bet I pumped gas, too. <laughs> uh, I used to be my, my four way before this big podcast. Um, yeah, let's talk about that a little bit. Where did you get your, where did you start in radio? How where did, you did get? I start? I started in Renfrew. Okay. Look at that. I'm The, the tables have turned. <laughs> uh, no, I started in Renfrew yeah. uh, for a station called My FM. Okay. It was right out of school. And uh, where'd you go to school? Belleville. I went to Loyalist oh, cool. originally. So I took radio. Nice. Obviously. I'm here. <laughs> uh, but no, so right out of school, I got an interview uh, and, you know, they I was in like a sales practicum. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm specializing in marketing and sales. And I went up and, you know, chatted with the sales manager and some of the team there. And they're like, what's your biggest weakness? I'm like, I hate that question. So I know, much right? I'm like, well, to be honest, like, I, I don't like the phone. Like, I massive anxiety about the phone. Um, not very good at it. I'd rather just go talk to them in person. I can do that, no problem. Yeah. But yeah, I, I don't want to call people. I, sure. I hate that. I know that's part of business, so I'm willing to try to get over that. Yeah. But I, I hate it. That's my weakness. Yeah. My, like, weakness, okay. my weakness is podcasts. I'm terrible. No. <laughs> you sound great. Um, so, no. So, anyway, so a month went by, and there's like, look, um, don't have a anything for you but we liked you so we want to hire you um to do this special project um and we'll just we'll kind of see how it goes and we'll we'll play it by year and what that project was was basically doing telemarketing for the radio station oh that's great so i would call um 
businesses in Ottawa and there's a special program or whatever and try like a, to low, like cold call businesses and yeah exactly and be like we have this program that sounds um, so awkward y- yeah you <laughs> you give uh, you know you give us gift cards and yeah. we will advertise your business sell them at half price so that's how they're going to make their revenue and then we're going to send people to your to your establishment so as a person who didn't even like calling his mom or grandma on the phone. I was now put into the position where I was calling prominent business owners and asking for money. For, for free things. For, <laughs> hi! <laughs> and I'd be like, I'm from, you know, my FM. Who? Where? <laughs> because it was rent-free. No one, you know, it's not, yeah. it's not the big stations in Ottawa. Even then, it's tough enough for them. So anyway, so I did that for a couple months. And, uh, you know, I, I, it was okay, but I, I can admit it was, it was not very successful. I would puke every single day before Oof. I would, I would hop into my office to start calling people. Yeah. I can, I can believe that. I used to play football in high school and I used to do the same thing before every game. Yeah. Like it was just, it was bad. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was going through some stuff too. So anyways, it, it, it didn't really work out and I was doing some street team stuff. So the marketing on site and. They eventually stopped calling, and I was kind of like, I don't, I don't really care anymore. So yeah. I'm just not going to call them. And one day, I just got a record employment in the mail. Oh, <laughs> I'm yeah. like, okay. Um, so it's funny enough. I was like, I, I'm done with radio. I'm, I'm not going to. I'm yeah, not going to go into it. That's going to be pretty disheartening it. with your. Yeah, first exactly. Job, right? And I was young, like yeah. you know, I thought I was young, old, and mature, and <laughs> like I do now. But I was like, I, I was 19. Uh, no, I was 20. I was no. 20. So, anyways, so uh, I took a year off and I was working at the gas station and decided I was going to go to university. Um, and, uh, so I enrolled, uh, at Carleton here and was going to go for communications. So I was doing that and, uh, I met a lady while I was pumping gas. Um, I met her mom, told her about, we were just talking and shooting the shed. And I was like, Oh, I'm in radio. I, I, I took radio and I'm, I, I, you know, still interested. She's like, my daughter's in radio. I'm like, Oh, like, is she on the air? And she was in sales. Um, so anyways, uh, she's like, here, uh, I, I'm going to bring her in next time when you're working and we'll talk. And so anyways, I, she gave me her card uh, and she set me up with an interview here Oh wow! when it was the stations before and, uh, went for an interview and was, you know, a uh, couple weeks went by and they're like, again, we don't have anything for you, but do you want to work for free looking for an intern? Oh, so I just interned for free. Uh, for three months, <laughs> uh, basically doing everything like office work, street team stuff, uh, just for experience and yeah. whatever. And they hired me on, and then I've been here ever since. So I'm going on five years next month. That's awesome. So yeah, been around, seen a lot, I'd and that's so. how I know radio and media in general is very tumultuous. I like yeah, I keep that's the word I was looking for. <laughs> Say it again tumultuous tumultuous yes it's very tumultuous i've seen a lot of changes a lot of great people lose their jobs and um format change uh, it's been a whirlwind and i know the feeling yeah i, I feel like a grizzled <laughs> vet yeah. uh i think wow. anyone in media as soon as you've been here for a year you're like seeing some things man well i was laid off two jobs in in the same year so wow yeah that was fun so my first job in media, oh. um, I was doing, it was print media, and I was designing, lay out, not designing, they were pre-designed, but I was laying out um, TV guides for print, yeah, for print, for print uh, publications across North America, mostly in the United States. 
Um, so a lot of it was, you know, just using InDesign and laying out those those TV books that people get telling you what's on TV. Um, so that was fun. They still make those, sort of interrupt. They do, yeah. Uh, God less bless. and less, as why I was uh, <laughs> as for why I was laid off. Yeah. Less and less people are interested in that when you can just literally hit the guide button on your remote control. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I got laid off there. Um, just lack of work. There weren't enough weren't enough books to be made. Um, and about a week later, I was hired at Metroland. Um, I had an interview. It was funny because I took the Monday off for my interview at Metroland. Um, and then I came in Tuesday, and that's when they laid me off from the, the TV guide job I had. <laughs> so that was funny. Um, a week later, I got the job at Metroland, worked there for eight months. And then, so you weren't even there that long? No. And then it closed, uh, which was – that was a weird day. So the morning, there was a um, – this was when Patrick Brown was still – running for leader right and the that morning he was here in ottawa and i was going to cover that so i went there and we, i was just waiting for him to show up and i got a message from a professor at algonquin uh. she messaged me and she's like hey i saw the press release from Torstar. i hope you guys are okay and i was like i hope i'm oh. okay so i checked my phone uh, i checked the the press release because we got it in the mail too about but i had gotten it earlier um, and didn't really pay attention to it. So I read it, and yeah, they had swapped the papers. They didn't say anything about closing them, but on my way back to the to the, to the the office, I had just left. I was like, I, don't, I can't cover this. I need to go to, yeah. know, figure out what's going on. So I went back to the office, um, and on my way back to the office, I was listening to the radio, um, and the radio announcer on the station I was listening to said that they had planned to close all of the newspapers in Ottawa. So. See... Again, with this age of social media. And... The radio had to tell me my job. Well, yeah. the radio told me I lost my job. Which so. is a huge problem. Like, yeah. Not to hate on radio, everybody. Listen to the radio. But yeah. that because of this this immediacy, like you're sending press, like, blah, 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 I got a tweet about it, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I found You don't out. even think about the the people. Like, you lost your job. Yeah. And, and I, I knew before I got to the office so when they told like, me I lost my like, job. Hey, you got something? <laughs> yeah, like, I know. I know what you're here for. So. And you hear that about like NHL players like being traded. Like yeah. the insiders know before they do. Yeah. Like, it's, it's it's tough, right? Well, that's that's part and parcel with their job. This is just a sad side effect. And it was, I guess, it was just a, from what I've I've read about it uh, afterwards. It was a deal that was kind of made quickly. So a lot of not a lot of people with inside knowledge even knew. Yeah. So. Uh, it's, I'm sorry, man. Yeah, it's okay. I ended. I think. I think I landed on my feet pretty well. Yeah. <laughs> I was off for about three months, and then this job popped up. And thanks to that same professor who messaged me on Facebook, she um, spoke to the person. Uh, she said good things about me to the person here responsible for hiring me. It's, so, I mean, that's what it's all about. And I, um, I give talks a lot to like my radio class and um, young people at high schools and stuff like that. And I always. It's pretty cliche when you actually start being an adult, but like to young people, they don't understand that it's when you know someone and they have a very like they know people and they have a high opinion of you. That goes way farther than being valedictorian or being president of the Glee Club. Like it's all about almost who you know. Yeah. To get the jobs nowadays. Sometimes nowadays, yeah. I mean, it definitely it can definitely go to that piece of paper that you got. You know. For spending four years and a lot of money, yeah. Um, but for the most part, yeah, it's a lot about who you know. And I just happened to know the right person. Well, she had posted on the jobs on her Twitter account, and I went to it, and I was like, "Well, I could apply for this. This seems perfect." 
Yeah. Um, it's literally just replacing the job that I just lost. So. <laughs> uh, one of my favorite things about um, journalists, and this is a very general statement because I don't know a lot, but uh, when I was going to school, uh, communications was pretty tight with journalism. Like we mm-hmm. had some crossover and stuff. But a lot of the people who graduated from journalism now have jobs as young people, which one is amazing. Um, two, a lot of them are women, which is even more amazing. Mm-hmm. But third is I have n- never really seen like the passion, the enthusiasm for what they do to for the work that they put into to a story, to uh, like a case or to something that they're following or covering or a lead. Like full tilt, like your whole life, like it's like, Bam! I'm going for journalism, and mm-hmm. I don't know if that's like just a, a trick of the craft, or it's just a <laughs> certain type of person that is a reporter or a journalist. I but... think a lot of young people know how difficult it is to get and keep a job in journalism. Yeah, um, especially nowadays because it is so volatile. It's you know it's tough to to hold on to that job. So you're gonna put your nose to that grindstone as best as you can. But I think it goes deeper. Like. Like there's a, a lot. There's also a lot of people who are just passionate about journalism. Yeah, and stories. Like, I love I love telling people stories that they wouldn't be exposed to on a regular basis. I think that's great. Yeah. I feel feel like tell, letting telling people what they should know or what well, but, not what they should know. But, <laughs> well, no, what definitely what they should know. Is, but is, as a journalist, do you or have knowledge you associate of. with other journalists? Do you is like add a pretty common thing like people just they love. It's hard, and, you know, there's good days and bad days like any job, but, like, there's a genuine love for what they do. Well, it's a job that there's not really a lot of other, like, it's, you're doing so many different things at so many different times that, like, like just, like, again, for example, I was out in the east of Ottawa covering an Amazon, you know, the Amazon groundbreaking while Beatrice, my coworker, was down at the Association of Ontario Municipalities talking to, you know, leaders Mm -hmm. of provincial parties so it's like there's so much variation in what you do in a day that it's just it's hard not to get excited about it because you're like oh what am i gonna do next yeah it's not just sitting there like typing numbers into an excel spreadsheet yeah monotonous exactly boring like there's there's you're not doing the same you're definitely never doing the same thing every yeah and there's literally there's always something happening always (laughs) like you know there's always news to tell yes yeah there's some bigger than others but there's never a shortage of things you can talk about or mm-hmm. write about. Um, one thing I wanted to definitely touch on you with is, uh, you know, like we were talking about earlier, it's uh, it's a tough time to be a journalism, not only for the industry, but for the climate that we're in. What go like, what are some of the, the key things uh, that journalists like, you know, the, what you hear, like the integrity or like the, the journalistic standard, like what mm-hmm. are some of the things that you guys I shouldn't say guys, you you folks, you you people, people in journalism, journalists hold dearly to their hearts or that, you know, um, that are guidelines or like the Bible of journalism. Like what are some of those things that, you know, that that's so critical or key that you all do? Yeah. Uh, question everything. This is definitely a job that um, is beneficial for curious people. Um, you know, don't be afraid to you, you need to dig in for your stories a lot of the stories especially if you're working in politics mm-hmm. digging is a huge part of it um always tell the truth um never never get skewed by you know what other people are trying to tell you the truth is the most important part of what we do um and it's our job to find it <laughs> um so yeah just be truthful um and just be prepared to 
to dig are the biggest things. That's it, eh? Well, there's there's the definitely key. more to it. You need to be personable. So you need to be able to interview people. people like you. Yes. Well, not so much like you. That's what I like about this job. I worked in customer service for a long time, and it it helps. You you have to be nice to people in customer service. That's just the job. Um, whereas this is, you don't necessarily have to be nice to everybody. So it's beneficial, and you definitely should try at every chance you get to be nice to people. But you don't. There's no requirement to it. Mm-hmm. So. What's like the dream? What's is it just reporting, or do you have like a, the dream? a higher plateau that you'd like to reach? In well, I, I actually career? never really, I never wanted to be a journalist. Well, I always liked writing, but I never knew I wanted to be a journalist. I went to Carleton for a couple of years when I first moved here. I went for history because I thought I wanted to be a teacher. And then one day we were in a class and we were discussing about like farming practices of early 14th century Europe, and I was like, "This is this is not something I would like to do." <laughs> For another two years, so uh, I I left there, um, took a year off, worked, met my wife, well my girlfriend at the time and now wife, um, and then I went to Algonquin for two years and took the journalism course there, um, because my dream was to work in video game journalism, mm. telling news stories about video games. So that still is like the my wife calls it my rock star dream or my rock star job. Where it's like you are, you're, the chances of you making it in that are very slim, very, very slim. So do something that you find passionate in your day job, mm. and then it'll you can work if if that comes up, then leap on it. But for the most part, just find something that you like to do. Do you do it on your like off time or anything? Yeah. Or? So on the weekends, I do a lot of national desks. Not a lot, but um, for the weekends in August, I've been doing the national desk. So I've been covering national stories, and that's kind of broadened my scope. And stories that I can tell, and a lot of them I've been writing about video games. So right on, yeah, it's pretty fun. Like the World of Warcraft release. Yeah, that was. Well, I didn't write about that one, but uh, you should. I should. I don't play WoW as much as I used to. I used to, Um, and then I kind of dropped off a little bit. But no, I go through phases. Yeah, I'm in it right now. Oh, are you? (laughs) Well, I've heard good things about it. So it's good. Yeah, it's pretty. It's good. It's. uh, I I haven't had much time to play it, but um, you know. It's the leveling, though. Every time I'm just like, oh. yeah. What games are you writing about then? Because uh, so that's I, a whole other thing. Like games <laughs> these days are like friggin' movies. There's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, the last story I wrote was about um, Nintendo. They sent a cease and desist to a company that was um, that hosted a ROM website. So you can oh yeah, yeah. So I, read can, the, I read that story. Yeah. So you essentially get free games from them, which is not good, and they had every right to do it, um, but. A lot of these websites do it also for preservation purposes. So a lot of those old games are lost um, unless you find them on these digital platforms. But when you're sending cease and desist to shut down these platforms and a lot of, you know, the people keeping track of all those old video games, um, it kind of gets lost. Yeah, in a way, it kind of almost mirrors music, eh? Uh, Where it's like... Or movies or books. Yeah. A lot of books have been lost to time because they weren't properly yeah. taken care of. So Yeah. And you get this. Do you want like kind of like the marketing aspect of it where like people are still interested in the product and they're still playing and they're engaged. You're not mm-hmm. making money, but that potentially could lead to more money. Or do you just strictly want to monetize everything? It's like. Well, it's funny, too. Because like if if and it all boils down to Disney. But if, <laughs> if if Disney hadn't have been, so they've been going through court cases for the last like 30, 40 years over public domain because they haven't wanted, they didn't want the mouse to be public domain because technically the old rules 
Mickey Mouse would be public domain right now. So anybody could use Mickey Mouse. Oh, yeah. Like happy birthday type stuff. Right? Yeah, happy birthday type stuff. After yeah, so time. the rules have changed, obviously, because um, they've been fought against. So under the same old rules that would have made Mickey Mouse public domain, a lot of the games that Nintendo are upset about, they would also be public domain now. Oh. Because so. Nintendo had some... I mean... I'm well, not... video games have been around since... The 19, well, since like the 1950s, but um, the the biggest scene was in the early night, late 1970s, early 1980s, and then they crashed in 1983. I believe it's 1983. Who crashed? The video game, the video game uh, market oh. crashed. Was that before just, or after the Atari? That was because of Atari. <laughs> ah! <laughs> so there's a whole book I've read. I recommend it if you're. I mean, it's it's kind of dry if you don't like video games or Give history. It a plug. But uh, it's. Um, uh, console Wars. Console Wars. Yes. I forget the artist's name, but uh, or the artist, the writer's name. But yeah, it's it's sort of a history between Sega and Nintendo mm. with a little Atari thrown in. And uh, Atari kind of started the Sega-Nintendo um, rivalry. Interesting. So Atari was making games. Um, at one point, they were making more video games than there were consoles to play them. Oh um, yeah, so eventually there was just an oversaturation, and everything in the bubble kind of popped. Everybody lost a lot of money because no one was buying video games anymore because there were just too many of them. Um, and then, out of the ashes of that of that fire, came Nintendo with their own proprietary cartridges. So you could only buy cartridges from Nintendo um, a certain amount. Um, and you had to buy them directly from Nintendo. You couldn't buy them from third-party people. Mm. It was sort of... I don't know if you notice... I don't know if they do it anymore. I don't think they do it anymore. But Nintendo had this sort of Nintendo seal of approval on a lot of their older games. It's like a gold star with the name with Nintendo logo right in the middle. Mm. If you look at an old cartridge, yeah, you'd notice it. Back. You would definitely notice it. But um, those came with all their games because you could only buy the cartridges from Nintendo. Um, and then Sega came and didn't have that same rule. Um, and so it kind of brought that war up until obviously uh, a lot of people know what nintendo is and not a lot of people play segas anymore so <laughs> yeah that's that's true i had a sega when i was a kid and that was the best i still have a genesis at home oh yeah that's what yeah. i had yeah, yeah. there's a, a batman game i used to play and i used to play it all the time and i could never get past the first level probably Those older games are hard yeah like probably primarily because i was a little kid and i thought i was doing well but <laughs> i was just probably running backwards or something yeah. i try and play as many classic games as i can n64 was the bomb for it was me, good uh, it doesn't age didn't age well but it was definitely good oh man i would still like yeah mario kart super yeah. smash brothers i'll usually go golden eye i'll go out with my wife every once in a while we'll go to like a video like there's a place on uh, uh downtown i think it's queens queen street Anyway, it's um it's called uh, the Blurry Pixel, and it's a bar in the city that you essentially get a table with a TV and an old game console, so you can oh. play old games while drinking and having a good time. So I'll go with my wife and my friends every once in a while, and we'll play Mario Kart's a big one. Mario Party's another big one too. Yes, so. they need to sponsor this podcast. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I'm going to go down and I'm going to upsell them because that is a, I've never even heard of that. Yeah, why are they not advertising? I don't know. Blurry Pixels, it's a bit of a niche bar. Like, you go, and a lot of times there's, like, eSports on the TV, and so it's it's definitely a, a gamer's bar. But, I mean, everybody's welcome, obviously. Um, and if you want to play course. old games, definitely go. And they oh also have newer God. consoles, so you're not just stuck playing old games. You that is my new well. date spot. Definitely. Like... The Blurry Pixel. Yeah. I'm going to be like, I know this place. <laughs> 
Uh, it's a secret. Not a lot of people know, uh, but I know, and we're going to go and have a great show. Oh, my God, this is so amazing. Yeah, I found out a friend of mine had his bachelor party there, and I was invited oh. to that, so that was a lot of fun. Yeah. Do that and then go to the Rippers. You could. Yeah, definitely could. <laughs> um, where do you think – what is the future of journalism? Do you – Again, like I, I talked with Dylan about this about radio. A lot of people say radio is dying, and it's not dying; it's evolving. It needs to change. Yeah, there's reasons why, but like, like everything, anything that's successful in this world evolves, or or gets better, or yeah, you know something. So, what do you think in in terms of journalism? Um, that like what that means? Like, I don't. What does it look like to you? It's, well, it's tough. The the I mean, print media isn't a bad place, only just because I mean. Print media on a national scale is in a bad place. So in Canada, the two biggest media companies are Torstar and I think the two biggest print media companies are Torstar and uh, and Post Media. What about Quebecer? Oh no, Quebecer doesn't. Oh, they exist sold it anymore. right they to somebody. They sold it to Post Media, oh. which is why the Sun and the Citizen are owned by the same people. Gotcha. Okay. Um, but yeah, so it's Post Media and Torstar, but they both owe so much money um, that. If everybody were to call in all their debts, then they would be bankrupt, easily bankrupt. Like most of us. So print media is, yeah, print media is on a national scale is in a tough place. On a local scale, it's fine. There are some local papers here that do a really good job, um, and they kind of filled in the void of uh, some of the neighborhoods that lost papers. So there's still a couple hyper-local papers in the city that are, as far as I know, doing pretty well, um, mm -hmm. Which is a good because that's definitely the, one of the best places for a new journalist to start is in yeah. the local scene and to work your way up from there. Um, but yeah, I think what's next. Sorry, what was the question again? <laughs> what's next for <laughs> journalists? Yeah, a big, what's the future? It's what a does big it look question. Like? Yeah, it's definitely a big question. Digital is definitely the way to go. I think uh, reading a lot of stuff online and then if ever you can, video content is also huge mm. there's so much more to it's easier to keep people's eyes on video it's easier the advertising revenue and video is still pretty huge so video is very having a video tied to your story is a huge part of what makes an online publication successful so interesting yeah um i find this in some media i remember when i was a kid teachers used to talk about this Oh, sorry. Uh, the, one more thing. There are other. There are also newspapers that are vying for nonprofit status. Oh, so yeah, they get a little bit of a of a of a of a break. I haven't heard that. Yeah, there's one in I think Le Trois is a newspaper in Quebec, and they're they've either done it or they're in the process of trying to get um, nonprofit status. Because if you can you can build a newspaper if you don't need a profit. Yeah. So that's kind of the problem. Is there's not much profit in newspapers. The cost versus the yeah. revenue is is way out of whack. Um, but if if you're not worried about, you know, if you're not worried about making revenue, like you know, making money, and do you think really the problem. the rationale is that because it serves the community? It is, yeah, it's sort of a public service yeah. in a way. Um, people need the news <laughs> as, yeah. as much as some people might not like the news. Uh, it's important to have it. It would be people would be upset if their government got away with whatever they wanted just because no one was telling anybody what was going on. That's so. in that's really interesting, actually. I haven't heard that. So yeah. we learned something new, <laughs> and I think that's what this podcast is for. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, finally, quickly, um, or it might not be quickly, who knows. But <laughs> I, like I was saying, I, like I remember teachers talk about this when I was a kid, but they were saying that, you know, newspapers specifically the comments were about newspapers but that they write 
at a very dimmed down level, mm-hmm. like a very, I think it was like grade four level reading level or something. Is that something you don't have to answer this mandated or uh, is it just kind of common practice now well, that you just want th- to make sure everyone can understand it? Or- yeah, there's nothing mandated um, about how you write, about a writing style. Um, I mean, there's the Canadian press guidelines, which is essentially like everybody, it's sort of a universal uh, writing style that everybody uses. So it's like, it's boils down to punctuation and, you know, mm. how do you, how do you properly abbreviate things? So everybody knows what you're talking about. Everybody kind of follows the same yeah. uniform language in that respect. And it's the Canadian press determines that. Um, but no, there's, I was taught in school to that, that we are to write a little bit uh, at a simpler scale, more of a layman's scale, essentially to help people understand. I mean, there's lots of very smart people out there, mm-hmm. more many of whom are much smarter than me. So um, I would never presume to talk, you know, down to anybody, but mm-hmm. to write it a little bit more simply so that everybody's on an even playing field um, is definitely what we were taught to write in school. Not so, I haven't, I haven't been told anything like that from my employer, but, or from any of my employers, but it was something we were taught in school. Oh, so it just kind of funnels up, I guess, and stays with you. Yeah. I guess it makes sense, but I think some people just like... You can, well, that's when you can, if you want something a little bit more heady, there's like niche publications that sort of speak Esquire. in yeah no, well that not. or like like <laughs> what's the new yorker is that the one? new yorkers one yeah the globe and mail is rel- like they relatively write at a not the globe and mail sorry the 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 washington like the new york post and the washington new york times new york times and the washington post thank you um they they write a little bit on, on a higher scale but that's for the most, but and again, there's like there's like the niche publications like Trains Weekly or, <laughs> yeah, they'll write they'll write something assuming that you know something about trains. So interesting. Yeah. Well, man, this has been very good. Yeah, it's Thank been you. Fun. No problem. Learned so much. I know. Uh, I, t- I I mean, I try my best. And you know what, people, <laughs> journalism journalists are they're good people. They're they're they may not seem like it, but they are. They're working for us we in are. a way. We're just trying to tell stories that people. People should know about. People should definitely know what their government's doing, um, and whether or not there's a bake sale at the local church. I think that's very important. Everyone wants the bake sale. <laughs> uh, where can people follow you to get some of your stories? Uh, so I'm on Twitter at at Chris underscore one gn. I'm uh, not on Facebook, but you can also find my stories at globalnews.ca slash Ottawa. Boom, Christopher One, journalist. Thanks for coming on, man. No worries. Thank you. Take care. <laughs> You take the red pill, you stay in Wonderland, and I show you how deep the rabbit hole.